Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. And if you're listening on release day, happy spring! Brighter days are coming. Firstly, huge, huge thanks to everyone who has been pre-ordering Limelight, my new novel, which is coming in June. It's such a brilliant way to support me and the podcast, and I'm so, so grateful to you listeners for that. Limelight is a story of sexuality, sisterhood and self-esteem. And if you pre-order in hardback from bookshop.org, you'll automatically be entered into a prize draw where you could win the chance to be a guest on the podcast. My novel Careering, as heard on BBC Sounds, is out now in paperback. If you'd like a personalised dedication, you can order one from the Margate Bookshop, my local. They deliver all the way across the UK. Just put your message request in the additional information section at the checkout. I'm going to be at Harbour Books in Whitstable on the 30th of March, interviewing fabulous former guest Catherine May, and then at Mr B's Emporium in Bath, interviewing Jenny Jackson about her debut Pineapple Street, which I love. Tickets are available on the bookshop websites. Come and say hello. Now, on to today's guest. I loved Nikki May's electrifying debut, Wahala, a gripping story of three friends and the woman who turns up to cause total havoc in their lives. It's thrilling, it's funny, it's on the quip shortlist, and Nikki herself is just as thrilling and fun. We talked about the mystery of tongue sandwiches, how we find ourselves in stories, or not, and the crime series that Nikki devoured that might just convert me to the ways of the murder mystery. Enjoy. One of the things that I loved the most about Wahala and I loved everything about Wahala was the the food is so gorgeous throughout and then you get actual recipes at the back which is a total delight. Um, do you have any favourite food books or food novels or food scenes? My obsession with food does penetrate literature I'm afraid. I always have been. I remember being a kid reading Enid Blyton. So I grew I was born in Bristol, but I grew up in Lagos, where books are really thin on the ground. There was one bookshop in the 70s and all it sold was academic books. So I did not want to go there. And I discovered Enid Blyton when I was about seven. And for me, it was a glimpse into the food of my mother's country that I didn't know about. And although the stories were great and I liked Timmy the dog, what I was really interested in was things like jam sandwiches, not knowing what jam was, or tongue sandwiches, which were even worse. And I used to 
feel my tongue in my mouth as I read about them. But even foods you could recognize like ginger beer or boiled eggs, they came in lashings. And in Nigeria in the 70s, corporal punishment in school was alive and kicking. It probably still is. And to me, lashings just didn't go with food. It was like this. But what was lovely, and I think that's how I fell in love with fiction, was how your imagination can fill in all these blanks. So even though you've never had a tart and you've never had a tongue sandwich, you can sort of fill it in and color color the outlines yourself obviously when you when you when I did discover tongue sandwiches I was hugely disappointed but yes always love food in books I actually there's some cookbook writers that I read as fiction so I'm happy to go to bed with Nigella Lawson so are all of us because <laughs> <laughs> she writes about food with such love and it's not just a recipe it's well it's a recipe but it's also a recipe for a good life and I think the other guy who does that is Nigel Slater but again he sort of when he he's got in one of his books this thing about a jacket potato and I mean, who needs a recipe for a jacket potato? But his reads as an ode to comfort and joy. So, yes, always been obsessed about food in books and in real life. Uh, did you read Nigel Slater's memoir, Toast? I did, I, I did, and I've got it. It's quite sad. It's a really sad memoir, but beautiful. Grace Dent's one is really good as well. And very mm. nostalgic, because food is such nostalgia. And certainly in Wahala writing it I mean I do miss Nigerian food all the time except when I was there I was there in July for my book tour and by the end of the second week I just didn't want rice I wanted baked beans on toast or a roast dinner so it's that kind of wanting what you can't have but when I was writing Wahala and I did throw lots of food into it it was just I for me it's a character trait so Ronke who's the one person who misses Nigeria the most and sort of feels she's missed out on living there for her food is a real pull to her culture and a real it's sort of nostalgia and family and love and so I thought it was a good way of separating out my characters and how they feel about things by how they felt about food. I do love that that Rogue is such a nurturer and pulls people towards her and it's such a clear expression of love and it's a little more complicated for the other women I mean I also I love the fashion detail and how Simi is maybe looking at Netaporto looking for jumpsuits. And it's written in such a, like, an exciting way. I immediately had to get my phone and look on Netaporto for jumpsuits also because I was so vicariously excited by it. Um, does that come up in the books you love, the sort of, you know, what people wear? And- it does. One of the books I adore, it's called The Alphabet. I think it's the Alphabet series by Sue Grafton. And it starts with A is for alibi, B is for burglar, C is for corpse. And she went all the way to Y. She died, I think, a couple of years ago before she'd finished Z. And the main character in this, Kinsey Malone, is this hard-boiled detective, um, traumatised because her parents died and she lives in Santa Monica. And... I actually think Kinsey's my friend. I mean, she walks around in my head. So she goes to McDonald's and she moans as she tucks into her QP. But you can also see what she wears. And opposite to my girls in Wahala, she's not into fashion. She won't be on Letterpool. So she's at TK Maxx or whatever the American equivalent is. She's in a battered leather jacket and scruffy jeans and really good kick-ass boots. But I just love, I just think things like that are such a good way of really loving a character. And also, it's a really good way to, like you were saying, you went and looked at Netta Porter at jumpsuits. So when I was writing it, my Netta Porter basket was bulging. I mean, it had a mortgage full of clothes. <laughs> 
and it was such fun this filling this virtual shopping basket with clothes I think it also is a nod to how much I miss London because now that I live in the country and I'm surrounded by sheep and live in wellies I do miss my days as an advertising exec dressing up in sharp suits and putting lots of lippy on and stridy about on heels if I wear heels for 10 minutes now my feet are broken but obviously fictional heroines can have six inch heels and walk perfectly and it is really fun isn't it the books that let us experience that glamorous world with you know none of the downsides where it's not sort of annoying or exhausting a bit like you know now you know I don't drink but I always love really boozy parties in books and people in books can drink like nobody else yeah they can wear the maddest highest heels I mean that I think Jilly Cooper I talk about her a lot she's really good at like I think she's the only certainly the only like writer I've read who's not a YA writer maybe one of the only writers I've read where her heroines get spots but they're so three-dimensional and it's things like the spots and she's also filthy which is what I particularly love about her (laughs) but it's things like the spots that make her characters real another person I love is Leah Moriarty I was obsessed with Big Little Lies but I just love the they were these aspirational women who and because I don't think there's anything wrong in loving fashion I adore fashion I don't wear as much of it as I used to but I just think it's some people say it's shallow I don't think so I think it's great to love clothes and to be really interested in it and to you know study vogue as if it's the ft i think it's slightly more interesting than the ft to be honest (laughs) same same i always think of the um in the shopaholic books where becky bloomwood goes to all of when she needs to impress people she always brings the ft and she says like i've never read it but it makes people think you know what you're talking about and it's a lovely color like whether the newspaper is pink it's like the glasses thing I've never needed to wear glasses but I have got a pair just so I can look a little bit more intelligent when I need to because yeah I know what you mean about that being sort of dismissed as being yeah, a bit frivolous and a bit girly why not own the bimbo yeah. and make a joke out of it but I think fashion in books I love it because I think it's a really good way of seeing that tension between how someone is and how they're seen and how they want to be seen yeah totally it's a, it's another character trait like food You're yeah completely right it's, and it because in my book we've got Ronka who is very much MS jeans and a I don't know cost jumper as opposed to Simi who if it's not Tom Ford she doesn't want to know but it really does give you an insight into who they are I also think it can be great to set things historically you know if you've got I love reading things like atonement where just by what they're wearing you're transformed to the time when we wore corsets and beautiful silk long dresses and gloves that came up our arms so it's also a really good way of placing you know, I suppose it's that escaping right into the book and you need the food, you need the clothes, you need the spots, you need all of those things to really root you down. As a book I read recently, I really loved by my friend Jade Beer, it's called The Last Dress from Paris. Ooh, writing down. A young woman returns to Paris and her grandmother you know, has a secret, but the, se- the clue to the secret and uncovering it is all of these dresses. And I think they're all from Dior Ooh. and they're all attached to particular memories. And it's about an affair she's had, but it's lovely because you've really got the, the contrast. And I think Jade as well just loves, you know, the, the couture yes. and the descriptions of it, but also the descriptions of the women, you know, coming into kind of the rooms and the shows and these sort of, you know, really wealthy women of the fifties yes. and how they, they'd watch the mannequins and, you know, 
order what they were going to wear for the season. And and this must have been the t- time when you had maids and people who helped dress you, which must just be wonderful. Yes, get, they'll get out the jewellery that might go with this dress and I'll choose. I think Agatha Christie does that quite well in some of her books. Some of, you know, that sort of really making you understand the character by their attitude to what they're wearing and what they actually are wearing, which is lovely. Like the blue train, I think it is, where you can imagine these women dressed up to the nines with pearls and amazing makeup while their maids are sitting in third class and sleeping 10 to a cabin and rushing in <laughs> to top up their lipstick. It's just, I think it's it's lovely. Fashion's good. It talked about growing up and then not being many books around uh, was there anything other than any life that you were able to get your hands on or did you have any friends or relatives yeah, you, bring things to you you read what you could get which often meant you read very age inappropriately which I think is wonderful Great. you know absolutely perfect so my father was outraged when he caught me with my first Mills and Boone at about 11 but one book that always stayed with me was I Station Zebra by Alistair McLean and I think I read that when I was 11 or 12 way too young for it but it really made it trans um, this is in Nigeria in a hot sweaty bedroom no doubt the electricity had gone because it went pretty much every night so the fan wouldn't be working so I'm there sticky and sweaty staying up late reading with a torch and I'm transported to this arctic arctic landscape in this freezing submarine terrified hooked turning the pages and I think that changed my reading because after that I didn't want Enid Blyton I didn't want Agatha Christie I became a spy fan and I think I gobbled up as many Alistair McLean's as I could but I Station Zebra will always be one I think I've read it five times it's like comfort it's like going home and every single time I'm transported all over again and after him I really got into John le Carre and I think my love for spy novels started then there's something really escapist and and very British about spy novels, isn't there? And as a half Brit who was separated from home for the first 20 years of my life, I did have this pining to understand Britain, my mother's country, and to sort of feel part of it. Although when I finally moved here, I realised it wasn't anything like the fictional Britain that I'd been reading about. But I love that way a book can just take you and move you somewhere completely different so from a hot Lagos night to a freezing cold submarine and it did I I love that book I might read it again I want to read it now I've never read any Alistair McLean for shame but I remember a couple of school friends were very into James Bond we did not have conversations then about the uh, problematic (laughs) nature of James Bond but they that that was their Alistair McLean gateway drug but see how the the order of it appeals and the glamour of because I think to be a spy the most dramatic things are happening and you've just got to keep a cool head and not react and I can't do that but I'm in awe of anyone who can and they're terribly sexist I mean because obviously the spies were always men and the women were just bit parts but it's funny how so many books I read (laughs) as a a young person are now completely seen as politically incorrect I mean Enid Blyton has her issues Agatha Christie has her issues I'm sure Alistair McLean has his but I didn't care and I still don't when I reread them they're of a time they're of a place they're of that moment and I just don't have this black and white thing so I I personally 
I still would recommend Enid Blyton to my goddaughters and say, you've got to read it, you've got to do Mallory Towers. I don't care if there's some problems. I think just the book still stands for itself. I think as well, it's really important for us to remember, you know, this that is recent history. And it was, well, Please. we could, uh, you know, spend a long time, you know, saying sort of like, with Enid Blyton and who is, you know, I think some authors are probably quite maybe not the nicest or kindest people sort of in and of themselves, but what they were writing about and the way they were writing reflected the values at the time. Exactly. And it's not like we're saying but, this is good or right or okay, but I think we can't forget exactly. that. I think it's also the thing of nuance because, for example, in my book, Boo is slightly problematic. She's prejudiced. But prejudice is normal. You know, people are prejudiced. My white grandparents, I never met them. They wanted nothing to do with me after my mum married that black guy. But they weren't terrible people because I'm now really close to my cousins and they were brilliant grandparents to them. So it's ignorance. I think a lot of this is ignorance and timing. You know, this was the 60s and people felt differently then. I'm not saying it's right, I'm not excusing it, but I think it's I think it's bad to whitewash history yeah. and judge people now by the standards, judge people then by the standards we have now. I really love that about Boo, and I think that's such a powerful thing to do in contemporary fiction, to have some, someone that you really love and root for and you're invested in. You know, as a reader, I loved spending time with her, but also you can think, oh, but you don't have to condone someone wholly to be yeah. captivated by them. And I think it's interesting when books see that I've just finished uh, Cleopatra and Frankenstein by Coco Mellors, which Ooh, I, I really loved it. And I wasn't sure what to expect, to be honest. I did sort of have that slight scepticism of, you know, am I going to like this or is it going to be a sort of, you know, high concept and overhype? But, yes. but she is really good at Ooh. having good characters doing bad things and characters whose sort of morality is patchy and uneven, but they're not... No one is absolutely one thing or the other. And it feels really exactly. rare and really delightful it's, to encounter that. To me, it's so real and it's so true because I actually think imperfect people are so much more interesting than perfect ones in real life and definitely in fiction. I also, I'm never this sure about these character journeys where you start off with really problematic and then by the end of the book, you sorted out all your issues and you're a perfect person. Because it, to me, is so non-credible because people don't actually change that much. I mean, you can sort of smooth off edges and I guess get slightly nicer or slightly less horrid. But I just, I felt, I don't feel that people should be totally redeemed. And I strongly don't think that melanin is a character trait. So I don't see why Boo can't be prejudiced. It's not, you, white people don't have ownership of prejudice i promise you black people could do it just as well <laughs> i'd love to hear about um your favorite flawed heroes and heroines obviously there's villanelle i mean i just adore villanelle i love the books and i love the tv adaptation i love the clothes in that the clothes are amazing but i just also love the idea of how happy she is when she's murdering i just absolutely adore it another one i adore is the talented mr ripley mm. Patricia Hyersmith. I mean, it's possibly the perfect book because it's told from his point of view and he is awful. And yet you are kind of rooting for him. You sort of are kind of on, well, maybe not on his side, but you kind of, I just, I love that book. Another one I've read and reread. And possibly my latest a passion is for Mick Heron. So he's written the Slough House series. I love it when your favorite author is prolific and I think he's done eight so far. And Jackson Lamb, 
who to me is a 21st century Poirot. I'm back to my spy things. I do like spies. But Jackson Lamb is completely politically incorrect. I mean, he's a farting, belching, chain-smoking, curry-eating version of Smiley. He's the anti-Smiley. The food stains. I'm obsessed with the food stains. And the cigarette that's perpetually in his mouth with ash falling. It's I, And I haven't watched the TV series because I love the book so much that although I know they're going to be great, they're going to change the way I see Jackson Lamb and the way I see River Cartwright and the way I see Slough House. So I sort of, I will watch them one day. But the worst thing is as soon as he brings a new one out, I feel the need to read them from the beginning. So when nine comes out, that's nine books oh, I'm going wow. to have to read. That's clear your week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's like you know no tbrs that week don't send me arcs but it's but there's so many layers in his books that you can because the first time you sort of rush through because you want to know what's actually mm. happening and you know does it work out but then you go back and you're really enjoying jackson lamb's terribleness and you can really slow down and really enjoy how absolutely awful he is so he's another really good flawed character i think i might reread the first one because there was so much i really really loved about it and it was like there was a character i don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that there's a character i loved who gets sort of bumped off but also i think if i remember right there was some fairly clear signposting on like no one ever really dies here. They're just assigned a new identity. So yes. I think he's coming and back. I think they do. I love, I do love the person. I love River. I think he's also really great at developing the characters. So when you do, when I do reread them, wasting a week of my life, but it's not wasted because it's brilliant time. You sort of see how River Cartwright has developed and all of them, you know, it's, he's, he's a very, very clever man. I'd probably read his shopping lists. I do think as well, nothing has taught me anything about writing like rereading has and seeing And when you see an author who's getting better and better and developing and seeing what they've learned as they've gone along, I find that quite heartening. It's like, it's okay if my current book isn't the best book, the next one will be better. I mean, there's some books I cannot read while I'm editing. Like I couldn't read McHeron while I'm editing because I would just give up. I'd just be like, what's the point? He's just too good. You're crap. Just stop. So I actually think it's really good to have some not so good books, books that you think, how did that sell so many books? It's terrible to have them up your sleeve so that when you're editing, you read them and think, well, not that bad. And it's again, that subjective thing because they're books that people love that you just can't get on with. And they're books that you think are wonderful and you lend them to your mum and she's like, I'm not that fast. So I think it's it's lovely how different bits of books touch different people and how some characters come alive for me, but don't come alive for someone else. Definitely. I th- it really takes the pressure off, doesn't it? To think, you know, this could be for someone and it doesn't have to be for everyone. And, yeah. and there are so many books as well. That, oh, God, yeah. Sounds like we've both got the same luxury problem <laughs> sort of the constant <laughs> replenishing pile yes. because the funny thing is I never actually thought about genre until I became an author because I just read I mean I read romance I read rom-coms I read thrillers I read mm. historical fiction I, I just read I read quite a lot of YA don't tend to do fantasy but I'd never sort of I'd never go to a bookshop and say oh I'm looking for something in crime I'd just be looking mm. for something really good and it was only after I started writing and I mean I was querying and submitting that I realized genre is hugely important well for publishers it is at any rate but I find that I still find it quite difficult to stick to any particular genre or even to write in one because Wahala is slightly crimey but not quite slightly commercial but not quite I mean I absolutely I know that I'm in the minority that people love crime and, and books about crime and they love thrillers 
I love romances. My first novel was technically a romance and then the next two aren't so much and they're about different kinds of love and they're also about women having contemporary problems and it's about sort of you know people kind of overcoming their vulnerabilities and there are jokes in it. it's almost like they're sort of not miles away from a rom-com in feel but there's not really a lot in the way of rom and yes. that's quite a weird yeah you know where do we where does one sit especially for publishers because they've got to have yeah. handles haven't they they've got to hang it on a shelf that has a big sign saying rom-com mm. or you know they which is I, but I guess the word of mouth thing still works, which because most of the books I read, the other thing is when once you come into publishing, you get very obsessed with book Twitter or bookstagram. But real readers aren't like that. I mean, as a reader, I didn't yeah. know that book Twitter existed. You just sort of your friends told you what they were reading or the lovely guy at your indie bookshop said, I think you'll like this one. And I think it's important to remember the other thing being a writer you get sent all these arcs and sometimes it's just nice to read something because you Mm. want to read it not because someone sent it and put it on your pile and to read things at the right time I read The Trees by Percival Everett which I would never have read because firstly it was Booker shortlisted which I'm such a lightweight that as soon as it's got a Booker stamp on it I'm like god no it really does feel like being set your maths homework doesn't it like I know I should read this but I don't know that I really want to and I had to read it for a thing and I was so glad because it is brilliant it is laugh out loud funny it's about lynching which doesn't sound laugh out loud funny but he manages to do it really well so I think sometimes reading out of genre or out of your comfort zone like being forced to read a Booker Prize winner is actually a really good thing not always but sometimes I don't there's a book I read last year and I really loved. I feel like it might have been Percival Everett. Erasure? I think you'd love it because it's quite it's about publishing and about writing. So Ooh. the hero is a very sort of literary writer who's kind of a sort of unsung. His agent keeps telling him that his writing isn't black enough. So he writes <laughs> under a, a fake name a book called Wees Lives in the Ghetto. There are chapters of it in the book and they are sort of hilarious, but he kind of, he ends up kind of on TV and everywhere or just, I don't know if he's supposed to be like, but it's a real, and I was thinking about, I suppose, all the the conversations last, because I'm really aware I need to read more non-white authors. And I do also think that there's hopefully, hopefully a lasting change in publishing where, we're hearing from more voices and more things. And it's that thing as well where, like, you know, like we're talking about Agatha Christie and I love Agatha Christie and I love yeah, Nancy Mitford yeah. and that's sort of where I go for comfort. And it's like, oh, you know, we read books about people having like bread and dripping and then going off to a ball yeah. and, and Jilly Cooper and whatever. But the world is so much bigger than that. I think what's really great and what's really heartening is that we're getting books by black people that just happen to be books rather than happen to be books about black people or about black trauma or about and to me that's where the future is things like Kylie Reed's such a fun age I mean it's such a good book and such a fun book but what's lovely about that is she's it's satire it's witty it's dark it's spiky and snarky and I just think that's also lovely and her characters her black characters aren't perfect and they take the piss out of it I mean one of the loveliest things is how the white characters are trying to trying going out of their way to prove they're not racist and falling over and that just makes it so funny and so livable and so relatable and no one's perfect and no one wins exactly exactly 
And in the trees, the one I was just talking about, one of the things he does that I just honestly, I stopped and had to, you know, when you stop and you have to read huge chunks to your husband because he has to get it because this is so good and somebody else has to laugh with you. And he has turned all his white characters into these awful caricatures and I loved it because I'm so used to reading books where it's done with the black driver or the black housekeeper and he's turned it all on his head so all these white characters are just terrible especially hot mama yella <laughs> which is just such a brilliant name for a character so I've, I've always been optimistic anyway but I think there's real hope because I think that I mean the absolute the utopia will be when we don't have black yeah. books or white books, we just have books. And I think publishing has a long mm. way to go before that happens. When I worked in advertising, it wasn't a black campaign or I wasn't a black account director or a black MD, I was just an MD. So I think when they stop talking about Wahala as a black book and just talk about it as a book about women, then we'll sort of have progress. Which is interesting because I, I I'm really aware as well that I'm a, a reader and I'm someone who is just represented everywhere she goes and I have a lot of privilege in the way I'm seeing the way yeah. I move in the world I didn't feel that Wahala was sold to me or presented me to me as that it's like it was like this is the new big little lies this is a sexy thriller and it's got three yeah. really cool women at its center the connections they have as well that sort yeah. of where they all come from and what bonds them and what links them as a reader I definitely it that didn't feel other am I making I feel like I'm not making any sense no you're making perfect sense and it's one of the reasons I was really I chose my imprint because they saw it as a commercial they were they were comping it with expectation rather than yeah. Queenie Queenie's a great book but it's not mm. Wahala is not a Queenie comp they're not you know they're not similar in any way so that no, was really hard expectation is such a strong comp I love that oh, book. Oh, I love that book. I love Anna Hope. I must reread it as well. If I keep rereading, I'm never going to read any, more, <laughs> any new books. I think othering is not necessarily a good thing because I think there's so much more we have in common than mm. divides us. So I think if we can just start thinking, these are just women. Because when you read Sally Rooney, for example, you don't think of it as an Irish book. It's just a book about women. I mean, I have had some pushback. I have had comments that it's racist to have three mixed race women and why isn't one of them black and why isn't one of them white and you think no don't I'm not buying it I'm not gonna how can it be racist to have three mixed race people if it's not racist for Sally Rooney to have three Irish people and it's not racist for Chimananda and Gozia Adichie to have three Nigerian people it's just go away I'm allowed to exist and more of me are allowed to exist but you know and I'm not saying there's been a lot of pushback and of course, I stopped reading my Goodreads reviews because I'm not you completely your mental health and sanity. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And spending all your life angry would be quite exhausting. But it's funny how, because what one of the things I love about England and loved about London was how we're all thrown together. Whereas I think America can be much more siloed, where you have black people and white people. And one of the things I love is, to me, we're just people. So... One day we'll just have books. I really hope so. I really want that. That's really interesting about America, and I guess it's the the size and scale of it. And their history, which is so different to ours. Because that's the other thing. Having grown up in Nigeria, we Nigerians tend to punch way above their weight literally, which is can actually be quite scary as a writer because you've got Wale Shoinko, you've got Chinua Chebe, you know, we've got writers that win prizes and write worthy books that, you know, are written about in great detail and have messages and have huge depth. And so writing just 
a book that's entertaining can feel a bit sort of you're not doing something important enough but i quite like the idea that we we now getting more and more nigerian writers who are just writing books like my sister the serial killer by owen called braithwaite not a message just isn't this brilliant? Isn't this funny? Which I love. And there's a book called Nearly All the Men and Nearly All the Men in Lagos Are Mad by Dami Lorik. Love that title is, so much. The name is unbelievable. It's got an awesome cover, bright yellow. It's short stories, and I very rarely read short stories, but this is 12 stories, and they're so brilliant. It's about the hassle of women finding love in crazy Lagos with crazy Lagos men because Lagos men can be crazy. I mean, it's a stereotype because it's actually true. And it has such a sense of place. When you read it, you are literally in Lagos. You can hear the downfalls, you can smell the food and you can see these crazy men. And I did buy it for my ex-boyfriend who's Nigerian and I made him take a picture of me and him <laughs> this book looking new. Really like, fuck off, but it's such a good book. Try and read it. And easy to read because you've got 12 short stories so you can dip in oh, and out. That just sounds fantastic. I'm going to order that today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. We'll be back with Nikki soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen Paradise Lodge by one of my all-time favourites and one of our very first guests, Nina Stibby. The book starts in May and I always have a strong urge to go and reread it at the beginning of spring. A 15-year-old Lizzie Vogel quit school to go and work at the titular old people's home, Paradise Lodge, which is full of heroes and charmers and obviously a handful of villains. Nina is such a gifted tragic comedian and I think it's impossible to be unhappy when you're reading a Nina Stibby novel. If you've already read it, read it again. Paradise Lodge is published by Viking and out now. Now back to Nikki. But you know, I do think, especially now, when... I believe reading is the really best thing we can do. The really best thing. And I, I call myself a writer. The really, best, the really thing, best thing, Daisy. Um, it's, I never regret doing it. I always feel better for it. I always feel uplifted. And 
to read the scary books, the book of books and the maths homework books. I think yes. that we only get to those if we've made a reading habit and if we have been entertained and had fun and we can make that leap exactly. in our heads. And if you're talking to other readers, like talking to you now, I'm thinking, oh, why didn't I go back and read more of Percival Everett? Because I love the one I did read when I was, you know, so it's kind of, I also still think word of mouth. doesn't matter what they do on TikTok. I think word of mouth will always but, be the yeah, best same, way. Because I've not gone and read The Trees, possibly because I was frightened exactly. about the, the Booker Exactly. Yeah. But now I will, definitely. Oh, I you must. It's still so think good. a lot about when um, David Baddiel was on Between the Covers. And I think there, the book they chose was The Girl with a Louding Voice by Abby DeRoe, which I loved yes. so much. Oh, I haven't read it, you see. Another of those book well, sticker things. Yeah, David Baddiel said that, that all the reviews are very, like, worthy and timely yeah, and important. important and serious. And he said, no, 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 that's so off-putting. This is um, a dunny, the heroine, has the yeah. most giddy gorgeous voice I do not remember the last time I rooted for a heroine so hard I just fell so instantly in love and the darkness you know because it's about sort of forced underage marriage yeah and she's sort of taken it sounds and again this is a book about horrible terrible things slavery basically yeah I couldn't believe like the light and the hope in it and the the magic Abby Dare has it writing this voice where you don't want anything bad to happen to her, but you have such faith in her that she's going to get where she needs to go. And there's a sort of the woman who helps her at a vital time. And it's, it doesn't sound like it's going to be fun, but it's fun. I read it and I felt joyful. And now I'm sold because again, it's a book that I'm sure is supposed to be important, which is why I haven't read it. Because the other thing is, and I don't know, but I think as a writer, you have to be played by self-doubt. It's kind of character trait number one. Be Have imposter syndrome, be played by self-doubt. And the other fear I have with these important books is, will I get it? And I don't want to read something that makes me feel crap about myself I'm not clever enough to get this theme which is why when you're forced to read them and realize it's just bloody good and she obviously must have an incredible voice to be able to get us to root for a and so now instead of just thinking it's really important I'm actually going to read it it's funny because there's a film called Rocks which was directed by Teresa Coco, which I can throw in because my screenplay for Wahala is being written by <gasps> Teresa Coco. That's so cool. I know, I know, BAFTA nominated Teresa Coco. But the only reason I watched it was because I found out she was screenwriting my book because I was put off because it's set in a council estate in London. It's about girls who live you know sort of latchkey lies I just thought oh god this is not a fun way to spend Friday evening not when there's Love Island but I watched it and it is full of joy and hope and positivity and like you were talking about Adini I'm sitting there rooting for these girls and their little brother and I'm loving their passion and their energy so I think sometimes it's kind of you have to, and that's why word of mouth matters, I guess. Somebody telling you something is wonderful rather than reading the synopsis and thinking, important, but not fun. Well, I should admit, I did think that when you said rocks, and I was like, rocks, rocks, rocks. Do I, oh, yeah, I didn't watch that because, again, because it was, I was like, it's meaning Friday to night, for a while. Shall I just watch this repeat of Grand Designs instead where I don't have to think about exactly. anything for now? But now I will. I absolutely will. Yes. And you'll be uplifted and joyous at the end of it. Oh, I think, as you say, that's so important, isn't it? To actually say, like, I love this. And that's why I believe really passionate. I mean, I say there's no such thing as guilty pleasures. I was raised Catholic. All oh, of my pleasures are guilty. But <laughs> now more than ever, we need joy and fun. And the difference between someone kind of recommending something where they're like, 
I read this, look how smart I am. I had a blast. Exactly. I had such a fun time. Look at my coffee table. None of them have been opened, but they're all terribly important books. I think it's possibly also the best thing about getting older is that you guilty pleasures become less guilty because you just think, I want to do it, so I'll do it. Also, something I could never have done, I've started doing. I've started getting a third the way through a book and thinking, this isn't for me. And instead of just lying there thinking, I hate this, but I'm going to keep going, I'm now quite happy to shut it down and say, I'm sure it's wonderful but not for me or not for me right now because I think there's a timing thing sometimes it's not the right time even if it is a great book I think that's a really good point I do remember having that with um, How to Be Both by Ali Smith and I tried to read it I think when it won the Women's Prize of Fiction and just not getting on with it and yet feeling like the most stupid person in the world but this is you know the the book of the moment and I just don't get it I really resented it I really felt as though the book was shaming me and then Years later, for various reasons, I picked it up again. And then I loved it. Loved it. And I had that with Sally Rooney, where I couldn't get into it until I'd watched it on telly. And in lockdown, I mean, there was nothing else you do. It was a law. You have to watch (laughs) Sally Rooney every night and watch them bang you away. And I did. And after that, I read the book and adored it. Although there's one book where the crawdads sing, which everybody except me loves. And I've tried twice and I still can't. I've never read it. Daisy, you're the only person in the world. world. I read too much about it, I think, that sort of put me... But I do sometimes do that more with films than anything, where you sort of... Oh, I do it with places. So my husband does it a lot with places. So we go to Cornwall and he's like, I'm not going to Padstow. It's like, what do you mean you're not going to Padstow? Don't want to go to Padstow. I've heard everything about it. Well, everything you've heard is great. Nope, I'm not going. He's decided that because it's too trendy and too hip, we're not allowed to go to Padstow. It's like, fine, we'll go to Gwydion or St Ives then. But I, I, I know what you mean. Something becomes too big, too popular, too loved. There was a book I really loved, um, My Dark Vanessa, I can't remember the author. She was a debut and it came out a couple of years ago. They did really well. Um, yeah. Quite dark subject. Yeah. And it's really interesting because it was a sort of about a young woman who'd been groomed, but he'd also yes. felt that that experience wasn't abuse, that it was a love affair. And it's about yes. what it is to kind of to read Lolita as a teenager and internalise and sort yes. of see it as a... And again, what we were talking about in terms of people who are, you know, have sort of like the values or attitudes and there are good reasons for this, but she, you know, she does the wrong things. She doesn't do the, her behaviour sort of is hard to kind of justify morally. And it's smart, I think, it's so well written because she's damaged, but it's not like, oh, we must pity the poor, vulnerable, damaged woman. It it was right after all the controversy around that book, American Dirt, which I have not read. Yes, Um, I read half of it. Ah, interesting. And that was when my you... No, I just, I wasn't, that was totally not the right time. I think, I, I think I'd read it on holiday, but I felt it wasn't the right time. But I also didn't approve of the way she was, I mean, it didn't do any harm. She did sell loads and loads of books, but I do find that you can only write characters you know is really problematic. You know, I want to write a man one day. I want to write a white woman. I just find this. So I personally was on her, I was on her side. I thought it was a bit of a, I think the marketing was a bit. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. I think, really interesting in terms of... How, and you, I think as well, because you must know from, you know, running a big ad agency that you've got quite big, subtle messages to get across in yes. a very broad yes. and quick way. And in terms of that... And covering it all with barbed wire is not subtle. No. <laughs> and, it was it that, and it's quite kind of... And it may be almost a bit dated and it's like, well, this ought to get people yeah. talking. It's a bit like something out of the British <laughs> Nellis novel and it's like, not not for now. And there was a memoirist who said, 
I wrote a memoir about having a relationship with a teacher and I think there was a perhaps I believe unfounded accusation of plagiarism but it's all but I think Paul Paul the author and Paul Oprah said following all the American Dirt stuff she's like I just want to step away and not do this all over again and I think that was a really you know I'd be devastated if someone's like you're on the the Oprah book club no you're not I know it's it's also terribly unfair because it starts a pylon and I think nowadays being cancelled is the biggest fear writers have I remember after Mulholland you know when Boo not and I say this as if everybody it was a really tiny proportion of people who said Boo was terribly racist and I remember thinking she's prejudiced I'm just not going to accept she's terribly racist she's a bit prejudiced and there are really good reasons for it and why can't she be and then I listened to Chimamanda and Gozi Adichie doing a wreath lecture and it honestly just buoyed me up again because she was just so strong about the, te- the how cancel culture is such a terrible thing and how it can just kill creativity because if you're writing there thinking oh is someone going to take that sentence the wrong way you're just writing with your hands tied behind your back and you've just got to believe in also it is fiction I really think people need to That's understand it's fiction that, you guys know, you were you were not boo Um, you wanted to write about someone's human experience and I think that's she's a person and she's a person you imagined and made up but also there are I think plenty of real people who are probably exactly and it also doesn't make them bad people although I do think that's another thing I was talking about this black book white book thing and I think it's another thing that black characters in books by black writers they're not allowed to be bad. It's always like we've got to write these perfect characters and, they, and it's just not true. We are allowed to be bad just as much as anybody else is. And that, I, that needs to happen. That's when I think yeah. we're going to lose that sort of distinction of needs to black be normalized. books. Because, you know, in the way that sort of all books yeah. are, are yeah. for everyone and about everyone, that sounds a bit generalised and it's not meant to be. But, but all books yeah. can be. I mean, you know, you're not going to love every book, but there's no reason every book shouldn't, you shouldn't be, you should have access to every book. I did, when um, I was writing Insatiable, my first novel, and it was just... Yes, lovely oh, book. Thank Amazing you. cover. Um, love the cover it was pure filth and my first draft was even filthier than it became and I did sort of think because it just sort of I just started writing and I was supposed to be writing something else I was writing a non-fiction book called The Sisterhood that's quite you know sweet and feminist and you know as a journalist I'd written lots of stuff that was quite personal and had my name on and I it was so giddy and freeing and I had this idea and I didn't know what was happening I was just sort of off I go and then I was like as a the writer's impulse, there's an element of me wanting to perform and wanting to show it to people and have readers and have an audience. But I'm like, oh, but I can't possibly. They're going to think Daisy's filthy. And then I thought I could do it under a false name. And off oh. I went. And I was thinking about that now, sort of struggling with various works in progress and how, yeah, the best thing I did for starting to write fiction is to think, well, could I just step away it's, from all of the expectations yeah. there might be now that I have books in the world? This idea of like the audience and readers and what they might think and what they might say on Goodreads. And you just can't think about them. You just really can't. But but, but when you write your debut, mm. you don't because you're literally writing into a void. And, and I, I always wonder why are debuts so 
you know, cherished because you wouldn't, if you're having, I don't know, bypass surgery, you wouldn't say, right, can I have the surgeon who's never done this before? I want him straight out of school, give him a scalpel, set him. You just wouldn't. And I really struggled with this love of debuts and debuts going to auction and getting amazing deals. And obviously I was very pleased it was like that at the time, but I couldn't understand it. And it was only when I was writing book two that I got it. You will only ever write one debut. You will only ever be that free writing into the void without expectation without pressure without a ticking clock you know hoping it'll be published but not knowing and I definitely know that writing book two has been so much harder because it's taken me almost a year from Wahala coming out to get back to the me who generally doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks and is just much more comfortable putting myself on the page because I know you know Wahala the reviews were you know raves it was a real real smash hit but then also you've got that like well people kept saying I love this and this and this and this book doesn't have this yeah exactly Exactly. It's even that I, I was shortlisted for the Comedy Women in Print Oh, yes, Print congratulations. Award. This is a bit of a brag, thank really you. But as soon as that happened, my editor then says, make sure book two is funny. You're like, stop it. I didn't make sure book one was funny, you know, and now I'm reading that saying, God, it's not really funny. And, you know, so it, it's that pressure of expectation of and expecting you to write a certain way. And I think the only way to really write well is to try and offload all of that and just write for yourself. And again, I actually, I'm singing the song for being older because I don't know who says it, a really clever woman. And she said, the only thing she regrets is giving too many fucks. And I oh, think people good. should just have that tattooed on their foreheads. And the older you get, the fewer fucks you should give. And I'm trying to really channel that because I think you get to a stage where you know what you're like you know you're not a bad person you might not be amazing or brilliant but you're not bad so trust yourself a lot more and I think with a debut you kind of do oh I think that's really brilliant advice and yeah and I think there is when you're writing your first you have to be doing it for the fun of it you have to be like entertaining yourself otherwise what on earth because you don't know what's going to happen the chances of someone else seeing it are so slim I would like to write sexy funny books and not gonna lie the last 12 months or so um I've not felt especially oh. off, uh, sexy or funny it's been like well it's been quite cold and there's a war and a cost of living <laughs> crisis and everything's pretty fucking awful life is pretty shit. How, how do we do this but then I mean i it cheers me up. I think this is time for Daisy's dystopian <laughs> oh novel. I'm a huge fan of dystopia, so please write a dystopian oh, novel. Well, tell me about uh, dystopia that you that you love and that you'd recommend, because it's it's not my genre, but I think if you pick one for me, I'd definitely read it. Oh, I do. Oh, oh, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. There's not a human being I haven't recommended it to. I love the book so much. If you give me your address, I will buy it and send it to you. That's how determined I am that everybody should read this book. I'm always shocked that people haven't. It is dystopia and it is, it's also pandemic, which is slightly <laughs> post-COVID. She wrote it ages before COVID. I think she wrote it in 2012 or something. Thing. I'm making that up but anyway well before COVID but this is a pandemic and it makes COVID look like a sore throat because it kills 99% of the population so there are not many people left 
And there are no borders, there are no countries, there are no states, there's no aeroplanes, there's no electricity. It proper, proper dystopia. And yet this book is full of Shakespeare and full of love and full of hope and full of positivity. And there's this guy who holds the whole thing together and he's a Shakespearean actor. I always think of who was the guy that was married to the Welsh guy? Richard Burton. I always see Richard Burton when I'm thinking of the guy. Exactly Richard Burton. And he's gorgeous, good looking, but sort of at the end of his career and he dies in the first scene but he's the glue that holds this whole book together and you meet people who his life has touched his ex-wives his son it's just wonderful and if there is if the world is going to end I want it to end exactly the way it does in station 11 where there's still hope and there's still this belief in humanity and there's still Shakespeare and there's still art and it's just pure it's joy and although it's dystopian it's actually very literary very very it's very pacey so it reads a bit you know it's real page turner stuff you get you just want to know what happens and if that hasn't sold it in fact emily i want my commission (laughs) i am totally sold and it's been recommended to me before but in the very like it's a dystopia and everyone dies and there's a pandemic no it's it's like i was gonna say what julie walters says (laughs) it's it's hamlet but it's got to be fun 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 (laughs) I, I do love to stay, but I do read a lot of it. Another book I love is Last One at the Party by Bethany Clift. And it's really funny. So although it's dystopia, what I loved, and I think I'd be the same. So this sole survivor, what does she decide to do? She decides to go to Soho Farmhouse. And I think I would do that. I genuinely think I'd first go to Selfridges, raid all the clothes. Then I'd go to probably, what's the posh food shop? Home Foods or whatever. Raid lots there. And then I'd head off to Soho Farmhouse and just chill in the serene pool and get myself a cabin so it's dystopia it's very very different from station 11 but it's funny clever twisty but i think if you put end of the world on it i'll buy it i mean that actually might be my dream not to go to really nice hotel and wear couture and eat ice cream alone exactly <laughs> if the telly's and working if I've got books with me and not pay <laughs> It's not a bad way to go. I love that. Well, um, if you want to do a, a book swap, because when we're talking about food books, I have you read any Laurie Colwyn? I'm always going on about Laurie Colwyn. No, I don't think I've heard of Laurie she's Colwyn. An Amer- she's an American writer and she died um, in her late 40s, I think in the, it was in the sort of the 1990s. And she's very like Nora ephron but she's yes. a bit more of a hippie and a bit more kind of, not low key exactly. She wrote these two beautiful books that are recipe books, but really memoiry. Um, home cooking and more home cooking, and they are my comfort things. I go Sounds to and good. read over and over. And I think Nigella Lawson is a huge fan of hers, and you can sort of tell, and you can really, really feel it. But sounds good because they sound like cookbooks that you can take to bed with you yes. and uh, yes and which is my the ones Diana yes. Henry. I do that with yes, Lori Coleman as well. Yeah. It's my like that's the she's On the it. writer. I reach for. Oh, Nikki, I'm having so much fun with you and I could talk to you about books for hours and hours and hours, but I know you've got lots to do. You've got <laughs> a book to edit. <laughs> you've got to edit. Um, before we go, uh, what's on your TBR pile? What are you excited about reading next? Oh, so I still haven't read Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro, who is a go-to writer for me. Very, I buy very few hardbacks because I'm really cheap, but he is one that I buy the day it comes out. But it's still sitting there unread because I'm editing. And I, if I read him, I will just decide not to bother editing anymore because why write when you could just read his books? So he 
he's on my list of books to read. I still haven't read Kate Atkinson's new one. It's got an amazing name that I can't pronounce, Shrines of Something. And I've still got to read that. And I was lucky enough to get Hardback Arc. Thank you, Alison Barrow. But I still haven't read it because, again, Kate is just so wonderful that I need to not read it yet. So at the moment, I'm really boring. I'm reading lots of arcs. That because I that's the other thing about the writer free books isn't it wonderful I didn't know arcs existed until Wahala so now I just get bombarded with lots of free books which is lovely so I've got a pile of arcs but I'm actually rereading a lot of my old Agatha Christie's I find when I'm editing I I like comfort books books that are just I know the cat I'm not going to wake up the next day and suddenly find Poirot walking around my manuscript that just won't happen so they're far away enough from what I'm doing because sometimes you find do you find when you're reading at night and you come to your desk in the morning you suddenly find your scene has now materialized into the thing you just read so I've got to be really careful that I don't do that it is a bit there are definitely um I loved I really really loved um really good actually by Monica Heisty yes. voice is so brilliant on my and list so funny and I felt so a lovely premise this young mm. divorcee love it I was it's so good that I was filled with jealous rage and the <laughs> the funniness of it and the rhythm of it I kept trying to sort of capture that and squeeze that in like no I need to yeah, shake this off voice. And, and not do that but yeah I think I definitely I find myself rereading too yeah those books yeah. where you can fall asleep reading them because you know everyone's exactly. going to be okay yes in the exactly end. yes it's a very you're completely right so if powers are you you're not worried that um, it's you know what's going to happen. It's fine, and this don't isn't worry. the uh, the, the zombie one where po- Poirot gets sort of his head severed. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't read that one yet. Don't mess with Poirot. I don't know if the Christie estate would sign off on that, but there's something. As I said, it's like, oh, that's an idea. I was like, no, it's probably sure that people have probably tried that before. I remember when the Christie estate started following me on Twitter, and I literally was leaping around the house. Following me, that's how big a fan I am. That is incredibly cool. It sounds like a place you should be able to go to as you well. You should, like Graceland. It should mm. be sort of Christie land. I've been to Burr Island. Have you ever? No, yeah. well, I should do, because I don't think it's that far from me. But no, I haven't. I did go to Shakespeare land at the weekend, because I was in the Cotswolds, and so it wasn't that far away. And I stood by his statue and rubbed his legs, hoping that some of his genius would seep through. And then I went to his gift shop and thought about buying a T-shirt, but I didn't. <laughs> When you've done your edits, I think that's the dream. Yes. A big, um, yes. A big Shakespeare T-shirt. I want a big yes. Shakespeare T-shirt now. There's some really good ones. There's the by the there's something wicked this way comes, which is one I really wanted. Well, I think that should definitely be your post editing treat. Uh, thank you so much. It has been so much fun. Please, like, come back anytime. <laughs> really, really loved having you on the podcast. Thank you, Daisy. I'm a huge fan girl. So when I got the message, I was like. I interrupted my holiday to reply, so thanks for having me. Huge thanks to Nikki. Wahala is published by Penguin and out now in paperback. I can't overemphasise the pull of this book. It's beautifully and brilliantly written, and even though she explores some very dark themes, it's so light and lively. I recommend it to everyone, especially if you've been struggling to get into a book lately. I think you'll get into this. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find all the books that Nikki mentioned at acast.com slash booked and you can see a selection of her books at bookshop.org. You can find us and follow us on social media at whybooked and huge, huge thanks to everyone who has given us a five-star review. It helps us so much. It's a really great way to help people to find the podcast and their new favourite book. 
We'll be back next week. For now, I leave you with this from Jumpaleri. Books come to stand for various episodes in our lives, for certain idealisms, follies of belief, moments of love. Along the way, they accumulate our marks, our stains, our innocent abuses. They come to wear our experiences of them on their covers and bindings, like wrinkles on our skin. See you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.